Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 39 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. As always, I am Teddy, coming at you from my bear cave in the concrete jungle, the beautiful Midwest. Um, so, yeah, um, here I am again. Yay! Uh, okay, so no no guests today, um, so I'm just going to go straight to um, the topic. Um in this episode, I've decided I want to do kind of talk about one of the rangiest franchises in the horror genre, I guess. Um, you know, calling it horror on a couple of them is a little bit sketchy, but anyways. Um, and that is Sam Raimi's Evil Dead series. Uh, of course, I will go... I have not seen the newest one, um, Evil Dead Rise, yet. Um... But, you know, I, I will cover, you know, the original, you know, tr- Ash trilogy. Um, I'll, I'll probably end up talking about the 2013 Fede Alvarez uh, remake, reboot, however you want to look at that one. Um, and yeah, probably also talk a little bit about the the TV show. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess let, let's, let's dig into it. I mean, uh, you know... Evil Dead, I mean, I don't know too many people who haven't seen at least one of the movies in this franchise, um, but of course, you know, it's, uh, you know, a series that was written and created by, you know, Sam Raimi, who actually has quite a, um, you know, he, he's got quite a pedigree by nowadays standards, but, um, I think what really makes this franchise that he put together really work is the fact that most of what he did was done on like shoestring budget. I mean, very minimal budget. And it's it's amazing what he pulled off with the you know, with that 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 small amount of money he had. I mean, um you know, and it, it's really kind of shown even in some of his later movies that like when he gets the big budget, it seems like he he almost doesn't know what to do sometimes. Where if you look at his lower budget, you know, uh, more from the heart movies, you know, more from like truly from his vision where he doesn't have this also the studio interruption, it, it makes for, a you know, makes a much better film. But um, yeah, so the, the original Evil Dead... Um, God, I didn't even think about this. Came out the same year I was born, 1981. Um, and and in many ways, it also create it started a a subgenre within you know it, it's the founder of a subgenre within uh, horror, and that's the cabin in the woods, you know, um, you know, genre, so to speak. Uh, you know, yeah, it's it's. Really simple, com, you know, really simple uh, plot, really, for the most part. Um, you know, for, for, I think they're supposed to be 20-somethings. I mean, I never really, I don't think they ever say ages, but I mean, I mean, it could easily have been teenagers, even though they were obviously played by older than teenagers. But, um, you know, four, four people, two couples go to this, you know, have rented a cabin out in the remote part of some wilderness and you know yeah so they they go to this cabin for a a weekend retreat and 
while they're there, they discover a uh, uh, trap door to the basement of this, like a cellar of this this cabin. And within this cellar, they find a book bound in human flesh and written in blood or inked in blood, so to speak. And, you know, and make the mistake of reading from it. Um, now, see, this is where I'm going to get a little confused because it's been a while since I've watched the original one. So I can't remember if in the original one, I actually want to say they don't actually physically read from the book. It's they find a tape player or like a reel to reel recording device that they play. And on that, it somebody is translating the book. And by doing so, it unleashes evil into the woods. Um, yeah, like I said, really, really basic story. Um, the characters really aren't even all that fleshed out. But this movie did things with like almost no budget. I mean, Sam Raimi has like gone on record and talked about how like he made this movie after like, you know, begging like local businesses from his hometown and the surrounding area to to donate money to help him make this movie. Um so the fact that it was made, you know, in this little cabin, you know, with like he didn't have any like intricate technology to his cameras. A lot of the stuff he did in this and the later ones, like he created himself. Um stuff like, you know, he wanted to do a a shot of, you know, somebody getting followed through the woods or something and he'd basically just put the camera on a board on another board I think is how it worked and he'd pull that along and it would stay on there and it would keep the camera steady while it was moving or you know stuff like that and it's you know and then of course there's the Samo cam which is which was usually used to torture the great Bruce Campbell who um pretty sure this was his first movie um at least his first like actual movie. I mean, I know him and Sam Raimi as well as some other people made a lot of um, like home movies and whatnot, but, but no. um, And yeah, so it's a simplistic story of, you know, uh, Ashley, as he was called in the first one um, played by Bruce Campbell and his girlfriend was it was Linda's. Yeah. Linda's his girlfriend. And then, but they're also up there with, I want to say it's only another couple, and I, I don't even remember the other couple's name, other than I know Cheryl is the other female because she's Ash's sister, Ashley's sister. Um, and yeah, it's so they're they're up at this cabin, and someone read, you know, they they the whether they read from the book or it's played on the reel to reel. Like I said, I can't remember, but this this evil is released, and proceeds to slowly possess the members of this cabin one by one. Um, but for how simple it sounds, it's really, really way more, you know, like in many ways it is very complex on some aspects. If you ask me, um, I really don't know how to, how to, uh, explain my feelings on that, but, but, you know, for, for how simple the story was, I mean, it was also very, like at the time, this movie was like extremely gory. Um, 
And it also, I remember it was it was so bad that it actually got put on the video nasties in the UK, which you know is kind of fun it, to me. That 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 whole idea just is funny. The fact that there were movies that were banned for being too violent or having too much sexual content or whatever. But um, yeah, I think like I said, I think where this one really stands out to me is. Like I remember the first time I watched it, it did actually scare me because the it does a really good job at building suspense. You never see the you know this this entity that's originally unleashed. The only time you really ever see it is when it's possessing someone. But it does this like great stuff of it, like you know, coming through the trees or whatever, and it gets Cheryl first, and it has the infamous scene that you know I. I remember even Sam Raimi now kind of says, you know, he he wishes he would have done this scene differently because the way she gets possessed is, I don't remember how she ends up out in the woods. I think it, like it grabs her and pulls her into the woods or something like that, and like branch or like vines come out and like hold her arms and legs down, and then a vine kind of um, violates her, so to speak, and that's how she becomes possessed by this. What are later called Kandarian demons. I can't remember if they're actually called that in the first one or if that's what they introduce, whether that's what they start calling them in the second one. But, um, but yeah, so she gets possessed. And I think when they first find her, she's okay. And then it's like she slowly turns into this this creature with, where, you know, they're basically it's just pale pale they you know they use makeup to pale out their skin they're wearing these contacts that were like notoriously just horrible to wear because they're really uncomfortable and you couldn't see anything with them with like other little things here i think there's like maybe some like veins that show or whatever you know like through the skin and whatnot but the what really stands out is like as they as she is possessed, it like she's starts being coming like more mocking and like really creepy. And they end up locking her in a cellar. Um, so for like for their safety and, you know, they're talking about like what could possibly, you know, like what could possibly be wrong with her kind of thing. But her in that cellar, like for a good chunk of the movie, Cheryl's locked in this cellar and it really, really builds her creepiness because you don't actually see a whole lot of her for most like most of the time you see her she's just kind of like poking her head up like as much as the cellar door the trap door to the cellar will open and you can just see like her eyes and whatnot so she's got those creepy ass eyes and you know as she goes she's getting a little more rotted looking like rotted out and it's it's this really effective like he uses a lot of really effective stuff and like it still shocks me that this movie was made with like i can't remember what the budget of it was let me see this is fascinating i'm gonna google this as i'm uh as i'm talking here but yeah i, I just remember it was made on an extremely small budget and um because like i said he he made it um, oh, wow. I did not know this. It was actually originally rated NC-17. I did not know that one until I just saw that information. Um, but yeah, it was, like I said, he, he made this movie by begging to get the money for it. And of course, I'm not finding anything about how much. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Um, like I said, I just remember he, he made it for like extremely low amount of money. 
um, in the, you know, backwoods of, I want to say it was Tennessee where it was like really, really hot during the day and extremely cold at night. Um, but yeah, so she's, you know, she's in this, this, uh, cellar, which leads to one of the most cringe inducing moments in this franchise to me. Um, well, at least the Sam Raimi ones, which is, I don't remember what's going on next to the door of the cellar, but I remember they're kind of, you know, they're kind of jostling near it. And she comes out with a pencil and stabs the other guy that's in this cabin with them in the ankle with it. And it like, and it doesn't look like she just stabs it and sticks it there. No, she stabs it and like moves it around. And a little bit by, by nowadays standards, the special effects do kind of look a little hokey. But it's still so freaking disturbing to see. Um, and the amount of blood in this movie is actually pretty and pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, so it, 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 it's really, you know, like I said, simplistic. It's, they get, they go to the cabin, they get, you know, they unleash the evil and the evil slowly takes them one by one till Ashley is the only one left. And what's really fascinating about that is when you watch the movie at the beginning, Ash really doesn't come off as like he's going to be the main character. It's like he seems like he's probably going to be can fodder. He's really quiet, very, um, you know, very reserved character. That yeah, he 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 gives his girlfriend a gift in the beginning, but like slowly as the movie grows, his character kind of slightly becomes. I wouldn't even say totally even the hero. He just kind of gets forced into this position where he has to do what he has to do to survive. And it's, I guess it's just really fascinating to me the way that that progression goes for him. But then you also look at the fact that Bruce Campbell, like next, like him and the, the, the actress that plays his, uh, his sister, Cheryl, like act circles around everybody else in the movie, which I mean, given, yeah, there's only four people in this movie. Um, if I remember right, I, I could actually be wrong on there might be a fifth person. Let me look real quick. Oh, yeah, I guess there there are. Sorry, there are five. So there's two couples and his sister. Um, so I guess I was I I admit I'm wrong on that one. Um, but yeah, so it. But like by the time that the movie wraps up, you know, yeah, you've got Ash all by himself, but he's gone through so much shit. I mean, he has to decapitate his own girlfriend. Um, berries are out in the, like out in the yard of this thing. And it ends with a really fantastic sequence where the camera at, from the perspective of this, this, I guess, non-corporeal demon. Cause like I said, you never really know what the demon looks like when it's not possessing someone is like flying out of the forest comes into the house and is like chasing Ash throughout the house and then finally catches up to him like on the other like outside of the house outside of the cabin again and it hits him and then it just goes to like it, it goes like right up into a close-up of the face and just, excuse me just ends um and I remember that was like probably the first time I saw a horror movie that had a very downer ending. It's like, okay, so all that and he doesn't, he just, he doesn't even survive. Um, 
And I I forgot to mention like you know like the the big question in these kinds of movies is always like well why didn't you leave the second shit hit the fan? Well in this one you know they try to leave but the the bridge is like washed out or whatever so they can't get back out of this these you know this these woods so they're forced to stay after you know all the bad stuff starts happening. Um, <clears throat> but. And, you know, th- this movie was really well received. I remember um, Wes Craven and him actually went back and forth for a little bit as a joke. Because in in the first Evil Dead, when they're in the basement, like right about the same time they find the the book, a.k.a. Sorry, I, I don't think I really called it by it. What is it? It's the Necronomicon. Um, ex- ex- Necronomicon Ex Mortis, I believe is the full thing. The Book of the Dead. Um but then uh, if you look on the wall, there's a poster for The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, The Hills Have Eyes, I believe, is what it was. It was either that or uh, Last House on the Left by Wes Craven. But um, so there, there's this poster, and it was meant to be, you know, a shot, kind of a joking shot at Wes Craven about how, oh, well, his movie is scarier than Wes Craven's movie, which then leads to later... When Wes Craven makes Nightmare on Elm Street, he has Nancy watching the original Evil Dead like on TV one of the nights she's trying to stay up. So it's this really kind of funny thing that there's kind of like these little shots as well as, you know, but in, in like this homage kind of way. I mean, and it was also booked as like the ultimate, the ultimate horror movie. I can't remember what they was it, but anyways, this this movie got a lot of ground from like from a shoestring budget and just word of mouth got this, this movie uh, to be a success. Um, And, you know, because of that, you know, they later got to do number two. Um, I'm really trying to think of more to say about the first one. The first one, unfortunately is very, is kind of cookie cutter to some aspects, but it definitely sets the groundwork for what he, you know, what Sam Raimi was going for and was a real good proof of that. He was way ahead of his time. If you ask me him and Rob Tappert Tappert and uh, Bruce Campbell to me, like if I hear those three are attached to something I'm in right there. Uh, But yeah, so uh, Anyway, so yeah, we we leave off in one where Ash gets like basically essentially, I guess you could say he get, you know, the camera right up in his face and then the movie just ends. Well, a couple years later, um, if you give me a second, I can tell you exactly what year Evil Dead 2 comes out. I just can't remember off the top of my head because I remember it was a couple years, at least a couple years later, if not more. Ooh, actually, sorry, six years later, we get, to me, what is, really is the the high point of this series, which is Evil Dead 2, a.k.a. Dead by Dawn, which I remember as a kid, I kept seeing the poster for, or like the cover for it in, in like Hollywood video. And the cover is just creepy to me because just this skull face with eyes, you know, like actual eyes and just says Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. Um, And I remember hearing like, you know, I think it was probably like my 
freshman or sophomore year of high school, there was this guy that would ride the bus along, you know, along with me that was always talking about these movies. And I'm like, finally, I decided to rent them both. Although I missed Evil Dead 2. Like, I, I never found Evil Dead 2 for the longest time because I think it was like at the movie store I went to, it wasn't put under Evil Dead 2. It was put under D for Dead by Dawn. So I saw Evil Dead 1 and then I saw the third one. And then later I found, I'm like, I'm like, okay, what am I missing here? And then I found out Evil Dead 2. So I went back and found this movie. Okay. A little bit bigger budget. Well, probably actually a much bigger budget. But I want to say Sam Raimi didn't have the full rights to the first one. So what he did was like he essentially in this one, like the first five or ten minutes of this movie basically retells the story of the first one in a way. Except it takes uh, Cheryl and the other couple out of the story and it, it makes it into a story of just Ash and his girlfriend Linda going up to this cabin the book gets opened evil is unleashed he has to kill his girlfriend chase through the cabin and then where right where basically so technically this movie begins right where the first one ended it ends with Ash getting hit by this force and then this is the first time I can remember they use the Samo cam, the true Samo, what, what the Samo cam has become at least. And that's it. It's like, I want to say it was basically Bruce Campbell is like mounted on this harness right in front of the camera. And they're filming like as if he's getting thrown around and they're, they can spin this harness or whatever, like the, whatever he's on, they can spin it so he can rotate so he's rotating, even though the camera's not, so you'll see his like legs flip through down. And then off to the side, it looks like he's getting hit by tree branches. Well, really what he's getting hit by is Sam Raimi off, off camera, just smacking him as hard as he can with these tree branches. Now, what really, other than the fact that like Evil Dead 2 really is a remake of Evil Dead 1, the other thing that makes this one stand out is Sam Raimi did Evil Dead as a horror movie because as his first movie because horror sold really well in the, the late 70s, early 80s. So he did that. Well, with this one, he wanted to kind of go back there because he he had done a movie in between the two. Uh, I want to say it was called like Heat Wave or something like that, but it was disastrous. It was a studio picture. There was so much meddling. You know, he wanted Bruce Campbell to be the main. They wouldn't let Bruce Campbell be the main because they didn't see the you know, the star power in him, which is really a shame because the biggest standout of this thing is that Bruce Campbell should have been a much bigger star than he ever really got to become. Um, even though I kind of wonder if Sam, if Bruce Campbell was kind of like never wanted to be any bigger than what he became. But um, anyway, so where was I? I was talking about, okay, getting hit in the face. That's right. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so this one goes more to what really appealed to Sam Raimi, which is he he and Bruce Campbell have both been very vocal about it. They're huge Three Stooges fans. So this one introduces like a comedy aspect that is amazing to, to cut what, you know. It, so you have these horror aspects, but you also have some really awesome humor humor aspects and this is also kind of the movie where ash really becomes 
what he what he's known for. You know, he he becomes the a little more one line. You know, uh, one liner. You know, that's a horrible way of putting it. He starts throwing the one liners. That's where he is where he starts getting his catchphrases like groovy and hail to the king and what you know stuff like that. Um, but this movie. Like I said, starts you know you get the you get the beginning. He gets possessed, or this thing hits him. You know he's flying through the woods. He lands in a puddle. You puddle. You see him possessed, but then you see like the like the sun is coming up, and for some reason the sun coming up makes the demon like draw back away from him, and you get this really cool scene where like you see his pup the pup like you see his eyes. And slowly the white of these, you know, the, the, the demonic eyes, like kind of like almost drain away back to his normal eyes. And he's, he's fine again, but because it would be, it would be kind of boring just to do a, you know, a movie with just, just Ash alone in this, uh, in this cabin, essentially they do bring in they introduce like a, another group of people that are on their way to this cabin because one of them is the uh daughter of the scientist the, or the the not scientist the professor or whatever he was that was studying the book of the dead at this cabin and so the beginning of the movie, it is really Ash by himself in this cabin interacting with, because I think with, he passes out after the sun comes up and the demon leaves him, but then he wakes back up and it's just before nightfall. So you have another little bit of him kind of like fighting this demon by himself. And it does lead to some really interesting moments. Um, Cause like he, he ends up uh, like his girlfriend comes back to life you know and she's like dancing in the front of the house and like he has this whole conversation with only her head um and i want to say it's she bites his hand and you know yeah so he's like he's fighting like banging her head against stuff and whatnot and i mean it's it is hilarious and i will say this is one of those movies that i was really glad when i was still in the northwest there was a chance to see this in a theater because there was a local theater there called the Hollywood Theater. God, I hope it's still around because it deserves to be. And they had a screening of Evil Dead 2. And me, uh, Tony, and my nephew Anthony all went and saw it. And it was so much fun to see it. Like it, it was it's fun to watch just by you know, just in a, a room with just a couple friends, but seeing this movie in a a large crowd was just awesome. Um, and on, on a side note, the other one I got to see at that same theater that I'm really happy I got to see in theaters was I got to see, we got to see a um, an actual film print of John Carpenter's The Thing. And that was an experience all of its own because I love that movie, but it was so awesome just to get to see that in kind of the original format it was made kind of thing. But... Um, but anyways, uh, back to Evil Dead 2. Um, yeah, so you get this this point where he's, like I said, he get, his hand gets bitten by his, his girlfriend. So he takes her, takes her head out to the, the shed, puts it in a vice, 
and proceeds to just massacre it with a chainsaw. Um, and then he goes and casually sits in the, the cabin like you, like you do. And I think it's at this point in time, like the one truly creepy moment in this movie occurs. And that's like, he's sitting in there and something happens and he hurts himself. Like he stubs his toe or something. I I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but everything in the room starts laughing. I'm like the bookcases is laughing. The windows are laughing. There's this like really creepy, suddenly really creepy looking like deer head on the, um, on the wall that starts laughing at him. The lamp is laughing at him. So he kind of does this great moment and it really kind of shows his his acting range at this point because he's you know he's laughing along with them kind of thing you know like almost like mockingly laughing with them to the point that then he's like almost like crying because he's like just so just beaten down by what's going on in this moment and then everything just kind of quiets down and he I don't remember how he does it but he notices like he's looking at his hand or whatever he notices like there starts to be like lines coming up from that bite mark. So like his hand is getting possessed and then it leads to him having a fight with his hand. And it is the, probably one of the most funny yet at the same time, like technically amazing sequences in this movie. Cause like he's dragging, like the hand is like dragging himself across the room to get to a cleaver and grabbing plates and slamming them over his head. I mean, which is really, you know, really basic something to do but i mean at the same time it's amazing to, it's it's like watching a good like the jeff dunham some of the jeff dunham stuffs where you forget that the puppet and jeff are the same person sometimes well there's moments in this sequence where you forget that the like he's controlling that hand it's almost like it is an its own entity and he sells it so amazingly um and like it, it flips him over and throws him on the ground, and he, so he does this really good like prat fall kind of thing. But this this fight leads to him taking the chainsaw and cutting off his own hand, and then the fight with his hand continues. Like the hands like running across the room, and he tries to capture it in a bucket, and you know he he grabs a shotgun and he goes to shoot it like right before it goes into like the like a mouse hole in the wall or whatever and this this always made me think very tom and jerry-esque like it goes it's about to go into the hole in the wall and he gets one shot off that barely misses it and the the hand like gets up on its nub i want to say and flips him off and then goes into the wall so he shoots it and like you hear this like he shoots into the wall and you kind of hear this like dying squeaking groaning sound that the the hand has been making since it's been possessed and he goes to like, uh, like investigate this hole in the wall, and then just like gallons, uh, massive amounts of this blood start just pouring out of the wall, like sh- like really like spraying out of the wall into his face. And I want to say it starts out red, but then it kind of becomes green and various other colors, which he, they did is a uh, they did on purpose because like. They were concerned that if it stayed red blood, like it would get an X rating or too high of a rating to ever be put in theaters or whatever. So they decided to have some more fun with it and make it different colored bloods and whatnot. So yeah, he's just getting deluged, a deluge of this blood. And it is incredibly, like it's right up there with Wes Craven's, uh, the, the, the 
pillar of blood that comes up out of the bed after Johnny Depp dies in uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and all this happens before like anybody else is in this cabin with him. Because I remember by the time they get there, I think he's already uh, he's already cut off his own hand. And I want to say it's like he he hears something at the door and he shoots and he ends up shooting one of the other the other members that have come to this this cabin looking for I want to say like I said I want to say it's a fem it's the daughter of the professor maybe it's her boyfriend and then you've got like these two kind of like hillbilly characters that are clearly just disposable characters that they brought in um that like have to like navigate them to this cabin because once again, you know, they do tackle the fact that the bridge is like completely destroyed. So there's no way like across this chasm, but the, the guy, you know, this, this hillbilly guy knew his way through. <clears throat> but so, yeah, so he's, man, maybe I'm wrong about it. Maybe this is, that was just before they show up is where the, everything's laughing. At him, and that's why he shoots the door. I want to say that is what it is. It's like he shoots the door and then it like, so they come in and just like tackle him and they throw him in the cellar. And the one, the female is wondering like, why is this guy alone in her parents' cabin kind of thing? And then they play a recording, uh, a recording that they find and it's like the notes of her father talking about how like, you know, he made the mistake of reading from the book and now his, his wife is, uh, is possessed and he had to like bury her in the basement of the cellar. And as they're saying this, you, it shows Ash's face and he's got this realization of like, wait a second, I'm in the cellar. Oh shit. And this brings in, uh, the like basically the possessed version of you know this this girl's mother the the professor's wife kind of thing and she makes for some great moments um you know and she's the i think she's the first time they have the whole commentary of, like the thing where they're saying I'll swallow your soul and that kind of stuff and it's it is just bonkers this movie is genius on so many levels it is probably one of the first horror comedies I saw that really knew how to walk the line and make it work. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I, I don't remember how he gets out of that cellar, but I remember he does get out of that cellar and thus come, comes along uh, the the possessed version of uh, the wife that was in the cellar. And she proceeds to terrorize them with, you know, him as well as these, these newcomers. And I want to say it's her eye that ends up in the mouth of the hillbilly female, because I want to say like they close the cellar door on her again and step on it. And it's like her eye pops out and there's this great sequence of the eye just coming flying and like sticking into this girl's mouth, which is kind of gross, but funny at the same time. And then it also is interesting, you know, like the way they filmed it was actually backwards. Like it was actually like her spitting the the eyeball out and then they just kind of reversed the film when they put it into, when they edited it into the movie or whatever. But, 
And then really, the, the unfortunately, there's not really a whole lot to say about like all the side characters. Like Ash is really the only one that matters, even though the the daughter does kind of have a small part to play. And like I said, I want to say in two is where they introduce the calling them the Kandarian demons. Um, and there's you know all these like you know as as the daughter's looking through the the book, the Book of the Dead, she sees a. She sees a picture of like this this ancient savior from you know like medieval times that s- saved a kingdom from uh, from these demons, and if you look at it, it's like clear that it's oh my god, it's Ash in the past, like somehow in the past, and yeah, it's it's ridiculous. You you know, of course, like, like I said, once once she gets out, it really does just kind of become you know slaughter, fe- you know, like kind of you know just. Everyone is just lambs for the slaughter, slowly taking down the bodies until only Ash and then the the daughter are left alive. <clears throat> and they're trying to figure out, they figure out like there's this dagger, this Kendarian dagger that was in the basement that is the key to like, s- like sending this evil back to where it came or whatever. And somehow the daughter ends up getting hurt. And in the process, but they, you know, they send this evil back, but it causes a vortex and the movie ends as Ash gets pulled into this vortex and then he lands somewhere. And when he gets up, he's surrounded by a bunch of like knights and they're like praising him as this, you know, as their savior kind of thing. Oh, how I do not know how I forgot to mention the best part. One of the best parts, because it's become like one of the more iconic pieces to to these movies, is Ash eventually rigs something up so the chainsaw is on his hand. Because like he he had to cut his arm, cut his hand off. Well, he puts the chainsaw on the nub and like rigs up this thing on his like on his shoulder so he can put the the pull starter on there and start it himself and. So yeah, he's got the he has a chainsaw hand and a and his boomstick, aka his shotgun. And yeah, so the movie ends with him sitting there with a you know chainsaw on one arm, a shotgun on his back, and he's in the middle of medieval times, and they're hailing him as like this savior. And really, you know, you could you could end the series there, and it would be a great ending. Um, in many ways, I you know. I don't care for the third one as much. I mean, it, it is fun, but it's like, it's missing something to me a little bit. But, um, so yeah, that brings us into, uh, um, the third one, which is known as army of darkness or Ash versus the army of darkness. I think is other, like, I think it's also been called Ash versus the evil, uh, Ash versus army of darkness which was like five years later in 1992. Um, And with this one, you get a little, you get a really, really quick jostle of like what the, the sec, what happened in the second movie. And then it quickly jumps to him in medieval times. And it's this one, they pretty much just drop the, any of the horror. This is pretty much just, all-out slapstick comedy of, you know, that fish out of water. You know, he's this modern guy in medieval times. 
Um, I can't remember exactly how the the tagline for this one went, but I remember it always made me laugh. It was something about like you know stuck in you know stuck in the past, surrounded by demons, and all out of gas or something like that. I can't remember. Let's see if I can find uh, um, taglines. Come on, is it going to open? Well, apparently that's not going to open. Oh, there it goes. Uh, there it is. Trapped in time, surrounded by evil, low on gas. For some reason, it always cracked me up. Um, but anyways, this movie is very much just... It's essentially a knight in King Arthur's court kind of thing, except done with Sam Raimi's humor. you got a lot of... Um, uh, references to... Uh, oh, Jesus. I can't remember the the guy that did all the claymate, like all the, the really great stop motion special effects back in the day. Um, like Jason and the Argonauts, the, the skeletons. Well, they've got a lot of this kind of stuff going on in this movie as well as, you know, the, you know, it, the, the, the story in this movie is really, you know, it, it's basically just, he gets brought there or, you know, he gets trapped in the past. he, is foretold to be this hero. So they send him to gather the book of the dead from like these haunted woods. So he can like basically rid the, rid this, you know, kingdom of, of the demons, so to speak. But what, what really stands out in this is just the, the slapstick comedy of it. I mean, while he's in those haunted woods, you see stuff like, you know, there's a fight with a bunch of like skeleton hands that are coming up and like they try to do the eye gouge and he puts the hand in between, you know, like hand on his nose to block the gouge. So then all of a sudden two hands come up each with one finger and gouge him in the eyes. And, um, but like there, there's moments to this movie that I think really, really hold up that are, are, are definitely worth the watch. Um, you know, they're told he's told when he picks up the Necronomicon, he has to say these specific words. Um, otherwise, like the book will protect itself, or maybe it was like it'll unleash the evil by picking up the book. I can't remember exactly how it went, but he has to say Klatu Barata Niktu, but he d- cannot remember the third word. So he realizes which one because i think when he gets there there's like several necronomicons on pedestals and like he opens different ones and each one of them is like kind of has like a different effect but they're not the right one well he gets to the last one and he goes to say the words he's like klatu barata and he kind of has this moment of like he can't remember the third word so he eventually settles on doing this whole like klatu barata okay i've said the words and he grabs the book and this leads to like basically the army of the dead being arisen, which ends up being led by a evil clone of him because on his way to these woods, he, I don't even remember how the, like how it comes to be that he ends up with like a, uh, he gets attacked by a bunch of like mini versions of himself and they do like a total Gulliver's travel thing where they like, they tie him down and, like one of them jumps into his stomach, like jumps into his mouth. And so to kill it, he decides he's going to like, he has like a boiling kettle of water and he just like chugs this boiling water to like kill it in his stomach. 
well, then it ends up like basically spawning like out of him in a very, um, very like, not Lynchian, um, like very, uh, like body horror esque things. Like they'll, another head comes out of him and arms slowly until they finally separate that there's an evil ash and a good ash. And so he's playing against himself doing this total, like, you know, as the evil version of himself, like calling him, you know, calling the original Ash, like Mr. Goody two shoes and like saying, you know, I'm the, you're the good Ash. I'm the evil Ash, blah, 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 and like all this stuff. And I think he starts dancing around calling him Mr. Goody two shoes. And it ends with a great moment of Ash just looking at him and like, good, bad. I'm the one with the gun and just blows his face off and buries this clone of himself. Well, this clone comes back like faceless essentially. And is like the leader of this, this army to take down, uh, that wants to take down this kingdom. And yeah, it's like, really, I, I, I don't talk much about this one. Cause like, to me, it's, it's a little bit weaker. It's fun to watch, but it's not as great as one and two. Um, like, I love the fact that it's being told, like, the entire thing is, like, told in the present. Because it's, like, Ash talking to this uh, <clears throat> this customer where he works, uh, S-Mart. Because remember, shop smart. Shop S-Mart. Um, and I want to say, yeah, in this one, he also does get, like, he has a blacksmith make him, like, a metal hand that he can use when he doesn't want to have the chainsaw on and whatnot. But yeah, so needless to say, there's a, the big the big fighty fight between the forces of good and Ash, you know, protect, trying to protect this kingdom, and they win, and he gets to go back to you know back to his time. But once again, he has to say those words. He has to he has to use the Klaatu Barata Niktu words again, and he can't remember them. So in the original, like the original release, he you know since it's being told in the flashback kind of thing. You know, this this lady he's talking to is like, so did did you say the words right? And he's like, mostly. And then it's revealed that like the 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 Kandarian demons are still like have basically come through with him or whatever. Cause he kills a he kills a Kandarian demon in the middle of the store and then pulls this this uh lady customer to him and says, you know, Hail to the King, I believe is what it was, and or get, maybe it was Give Me Some Sugar. I can't remember which one, and he kisses her or whatever. But there is an alternate version that is very depressing, but a lot of... I, I've heard a couple of interviews where they think this might be a tie-in, like how they tie the Ash universe into like some of the, 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 the newer movies. And that's like, he basically, he since he doesn't say the words right, he goes forward in time, but when he wakes up, he's like a really old man and he's in like basically a post-apocalyptic world where the demons have taken over. Um, so yeah, so it's like, that's, that's where the original trilogy ends. And what I think really is funny about this is like, okay, so you have Evil Dead 1, true horror. You have Evil Dead 2, which is horror comedy, and you have Evil Dead 3, a.k.a. Army of Darkness, which is just straight-up slapstick humor. Um, and I think that really I think that really says something to the versatility of one of Bruce Campbell. Because every one of those movies, he makes them work. No matter what the, you know, the 
the tone of the movie is supposed to be. But also, it's just it just goes to show that Sam Raimi is like like I said. I think even though I don't think the third one is real strong, I still like the movie and I can still watch it and have fun with it. I think it's just for the you know it's just one of those things. I have to be in the mood to watch a a full on slapstick comedy. Um. So yeah, so that's that's the wrap up of the original trilogy. Um. Before I get to the 2013 kind of like remake reboot, I, I think I am going to talk a little bit about, um, not too heavily, but on Ash versus the Evil Dead, which was the t- three season TV show they did. Um, I want to say it aired on Stars originally, um, which is basically kind of continuing from, in many ways, like kind of the wrap up to. Um, to uh, Army of Darkness because you do have Ash back in you know I don't know like it's really I I, because of rights it's hard to remember what they have the rights to do and what they didn't to like bring to the TV show I don't think they did have rights to Army of Darkness so I don't think they ever make reference to him ever going to the Middle Ages Um, but I mean obviously he has the chainsaw hand he has the the prosthetic hand that kind of stuff so obviously the rights to part two. And I know they have the rights to part one because his sister makes a reemergence at one point in the show. But it's really just middle-aged Ash um, working a dead-end job at... It's not S-Mart, but he is working at some, like, grocery... Like, some, some like, you know, store. And he's got, uh, like, he's got a... Like kind of, I guess you could say, kind of a follower that that works there. This uh, I want to say his name is Pedro, um, who's a coworker who has heard the stories about him and believes, you know, like thinks he's like the most badass guy in the world. But really, he's he's just this like complete failure that just happens to do the right thing in the long in the long run kind of thing. And that's kind of the running joke of it is and that and the fact that like, you know, in the beginning of the, the show, like you see him like gearing up as if he's about to go to battle, but really he's just putting on a girdle and everything because he's got a date. And the next morning when he wakes up, he realizes that at some point in time during this date, they got stoned and drunk. And this girl he was on a date with wanted to read from this book. So she read from the book. So basically he unleashes the demons again. And... Then it proceeds for three seasons of the show of just like slowly, you know, progressing his story as, you know, this, this kind of failure hero kind of thing who really projects the, like that he's way more macho than he actually is. Um, but then he has the help of Pedro and, um, oh, I can't remember the female, his like, cause he has a, a female cohort um throughout the show that uh kelly that was what her name is kelly um and she like it, it's kind of released that pablo has a thing for kelly but she she ends up joining them and they end up becoming kind of like this trio of badass like demon slayers so to speak but it does some interesting stuff with i mean it, it's very much in the vein of two of evil dead two, because it does have, it does have some pretty creepy horror moments, but it definitely leans towards the comedy as well. Um, but then you have like Lucy lawless plays like this demon, um, that gets unleashed 
and she's kind of a big bad, kind of a helper at points, and then kind of a big bad again, I want to say, at the end. But yeah, so it, it's it's just a great thing. Like if, if you like the first two, I say watch the three seasons. It's worth it. Um, I want to say they're, you know, it's it's not a real long show. I want to say it's only like 12 episodes a season, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I only, I don't even want to say they're like 40 minute episodes, like full hour episodes. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, so if you like Evil Dead 2, it, it's well worth it. It's got the, it's got the blood, it's got the humor. Plus it does have a couple moments that really build on the Ash character as far as like things we might not have known about him. Like you do find out like after he got back from this cabin, like he returns home and a lot of people think he was, you know, he was a serial killer and he killed his sister and the other members that were at this cabin. So like in his little hometown, he's known as uh, Ashy Slashy. Um, and yeah, so it, it just, it just builds on the universe in a real fun way. And once again, I think the ending of the show is a shame though, because it leaves kind of a cliffhanger, like very similar to me with uh, the way angel wrapped up with you know, the last thing you see is like this army of things attacking and all Angel says is I'm going to slay a dragon and then it ends. Well, you kind of get a similar thing with this where it's like he takes down the big bad and then he wakes up in a cryogenic chamber. He's in the middle of like, obviously things have still gone downhill after he, you know, killed this demon. And then it like ends with him driving away in his souped up version of his car. That's all weaponed out or whatever. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see them find a way to do something to give a little more time. And I, I've, like I said, I've heard a couple interviews with about evil dead rise where they make reference to, they believe that like, maybe this is the beginning to a way of branching between, you know, the Ash version of evil dead stories and like anything going forward. But once again, I have not seen evil dead rise. Um, Let's see how much. Oh shit. Um, okay, I guess I'll talk really quickly because I'm I'm running out of time here about the 2013 remake reboot, whatever you want to call it, uh, by Fede Alvarez. Because I remember when this movie was um, being advertised, I'm like, dude, it's a new Evil Dead movie. I've got to see it. But then the trailers start coming out, and you're like, okay, this movie is definitely more in the vein of the original Evil Dead. But then you start seeing more and like, you know, I, I think I saw a red, like a red band trailer for it. Um, and I'm like, okay, this movie is not going to pull punches. I need to see this movie. Uh, and I want to say me and Tony went and saw this one in theaters. And I can definitely say this movie, like it, it, it leaves an impression. Um, I like the fact that it wasn't trying to do like, you know, it wasn't trying to do Ash or retell Ash's story. It's all new characters. Um, there's a very good reason why they're at this cabin. Cause it's uh, the main character is Mia and she's a heroin addict who's basically OD'd a couple times. And so her friends have basically staged like a cold Turkey at this cabin where she, you know, like basically once she dumps out her drugs, there's no way to get more. And they're going to be there and help her through it. So it's Mia, her brother and his brother's girlfriend show up. Um, and then there's like a nurse friend. And I really don't know the other, the like the the point of the other friend. Like he's just kind of another friend, another member of this friend group. 
And once again, you have, you know, they, while she's detoxing, she keeps complaining about, Mia keeps complaining about this smell and they find, because they have a dog there, the dog like scratches at this carpet and they find the entryway to this cellar. And it, it pretty much goes from there. It's pretty much the same. You know, they find in the cellar, the, the one friend, the the one guy that I really don't know his purpose in the friend group other than just being part of the friend group is like finds the book and he opens it and like an idiot reads a passage from the book and it reveal releases this you know this evil that quickly possesses Mia. Um, but what stands out in this one, like other than the obvious thing, you're you're talking about a character or a a main character who is a heroin addict. So you could definitely see the, you know, like, is this, did this thing single her out first because she's probably weakened because of this, you know, like detoxing essentially or whatever. But there's a little bit like in the, the idea of like, you know, the whole, you know, drug addict feel of the story. It does definitely kind of, it does kind of seem like the demons as a, as a drug analogy works as well. But, um, but really what stands out about this movie is just the fact that this movie does like goes out of its way to make you uncomfortable. I mean, you know, there's a scene where Mia licks a freaking like possessed version of Mia, like grabs a box knife and like licks the blade and you physically see her tongue like splitting as it's licking this blade. And I mean, it is a gore fest. But it doesn't shy away. And, like, you know, the 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 scene that still creeps me out, because, like, I watched this movie just last night just because it had been a while and I wanted to watch it, where one of the guys gets, like, stabbed repeatedly. The, the nurse girl gets turned by getting puked on, essentially, by Mia after she's possessed. And it's really gross amount of puke. But um, the guy that read from the book comes to check on the nurse, and she is like carving her face off with a shard of glass. And then she attacks him with a, a syringe. Well, after he like fights her back, he goes and like reaches up under his glasses and pulls this piece of the needle and like pulling it out from like just below his eye. And it is excruciating to watch. Um, You know, and then you, you have stuff like, one of the girls gets like gets her hand bit by Mia, and so she her her arm is getting infected. So she takes like a like one of the electric carving knives and cuts her own arm off. And the scene where she's cutting it off is bad enough, but then there's a sequence where they go to check on her, and she she turns around. She's like, "It's okay, I I I got it all fixed. I cut it off." And as she turns, like her arm, like the last little bit that was holding the arm on, just kind of like cuts loose and drops to the ground. I mean, it is brutal um there's no humor to this movie but it stands out to me because i think that the mia character played by uh jane leave levy i believe is how it's pronounced is just i think it's a character that needs i think that they need to find a way to bring her back in at some point in time i would love to see her and ash teamed up in some way shape or form especially considering by the end of this movie she is also missing an arm because I want to say it's like a Jeep gets her Jeep gets flipped over on top of her arm when like the main bad is finally unleashed. And she, so she's like basically like pulls her own arm off in a way, <clears throat> but no, it's like, 
I, I do not know how to categorize the 2013 Evil Dead movie other than just like uncomfortable. It's definitely not subtle. It is going to slap you in the face with the gore and the uncomfortable violence. But I love it for it. Um, and I do feel like you get a little bit more, like even though I can't remember what the one guy's function was, you know, like the guy that read from the book, like you get a little more character build to these characters. The characters are definitely well built. They are like built better to like the point where you, you know, that the, there's a kind of a strained relationship between Mia and her brother. Um, and it all has to do with like a mentally ill mother that, you know, that, sh that Mia was left to take care of because he ran off to do whatever. Um, and you get like a lot of, you know, like a lot of tension as far as like the other two friends, like they were there with Mia when she was like, you know, in the peak of her, her heroin use. And they talk about how the fact that they can't, she can't, she can't fail on this detox because she's done this before and it didn't hold. And she was legally dead for a little bit because she OD'd so badly. So it's like you get better character builds, but it's sad that what really stands out is just the, the unflint, like just how flinch wins inducing the violence gets by Fede Alvarez, which I'm happy to say that I also believe that Fede Alvarez really kind of followed up on the momentum of this with his his next movie, Don't Breathe, which is a good movie, once again, with Jane Le uh, Levy. And she does a good job in that one, too. But, but yeah, so that's, that's the 2013 one. Um, that said, I'm really excited for Evil Dead Rise, but I'm still not... Where I'm at, I don't like going to theaters, so I'm like I'm waiting for it to pop up on streaming or till I can buy it. Um, so we'll see how long that is, and you know which one comes first, and or if I just finally break down and go to a movie theater. It's been a while. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm gonna kind of wrap up there because I've gone, yeah, I've gone a decent amount of time on this one. But then you know, four movies and a TV show to tackle. I guess that makes sense. So I'm gonna say. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Um, thanks to the usual group of people for the support. Um, you know, thank you to Spider for my my artwork as always. Um, and then I will say, if you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on on the Evil Dead franchise. Um yeah, so with that, I will say I will talk to you in two weeks. Bye-bye.